five years in the making, finally, number 21 is back on the Mike Sappho podcast. Welcome to the show, Cameron Mills. Thank you, buddy. You're not thrown up today, so thank God that's a, that's a good one. <laughs> so should we tell that story? Well, here's what we're going to do. So everyone who's going right. to be listening, all of Big Blue Nation who loves every time I have a Kentucky player on, just had on Ramel Smooth, smooth Bradley. Smooth. Who is New York boy, right? Yeah, of course Lives he up is. here now? Again. He yeah. Brooklyn guy. He's going back and forth. Brooklyn, that's right. And he it's, loves he loves technically Revenant. a borough. Brooklyn. Brooklyn. What do you mean? Is that how he says it? Yeah. Oh, he loves talking about Brooklyn. He's not from New York. He's from Brooklyn. Oh, my gosh. But so we did a show last night. Myself, Cameron, Simber, and Jen. We tried to do one. Yeah. We, we hung out the whole night. <laughs> We went out to eat. We just, Simber and Jen had a few cocktails, and we had it in my apartment at 1 a.m. doing a podcast. Uh-huh. It came out good. Yeah. Now we want to do maybe more of a one-on-one. Does that sound good? You're wanting to put the icing on that cake. Exactly. I got Five you. years and one day since we did our Right, yeah. Podcast. This is why it worked better last night, yeah. And now whoever didn't listen to the first one, tell her by the SantaCon story, because I do okay. love this story. Yes. Okay, so uh, two years ago, first time I came up, I mean, you'd been down to Kentucky a couple times. Uh, two years ago, came up to be a part of, at Dempsey's, the UK crew, UK alumni. Uh, we repeated it this last year because we assumed the Cats would beat Hofstra. They couldn't beat Ohio State two years ago. But um, over at, uh, what is it? We're Barclays. There you go, Barclays Center. And uh, so we come up for a few days, right? And, and uh, as you always do, very much hospitable, play the host, and want to show us a part of New York that the tourists don't even get to see. And... Um, so we happened to be, I think it was the day of the game and the show, wasn't it? Yeah, everything together. Yeah, it was that morning. Mm-hmm. And SantaCon, and if you're unfamiliar with SantaCon as I was um, a few months ago, it is apparently the the most, the most worst day in a New York City police officer's year. And every local New York New Yorker's life. Yeah, yeah right, because what, what these... What, I mean, they're all in college, it looks like. They're, the millennials. Would that yeah. be fair to say? Yeah, of course. They um, they dress up like Santa Claus or an elf, and they effectively just start drinking at 10 a.m. Yeah, and they just go bar hopping. And yes. And 90% of the bars don't want them in there because they're right. rowdy, obnoxious. And well, I mean, they, they're getting drunk at by noon, mm-hmm. and so we're only going downhill from there. Now we've got a bunch, bunch of drunk, half-dressed Santa Clauses all over New York. So... The reason that's important is because you and I, of course, were not dressed as Santa Claus. We were, what did we do? We we did one thing, and then then you were taking me to get uh, to a hole in the wall uh, noodle place, Lam Zhao Noodles in Chinatown, my favorite place. There we go. So, which I wanted to go to, and I was all excited. So we got our we got our stuff, we got our noodles and our dumplings. And at some point, you put something in my bowl, um, some sort of pepper spice or hot, something, hot sauce. There we go. That must smell what it is. And about five minutes later, I started feeling queasy, and just overall, just not good. And so I'm like, I push my bowl away at some point, and you're like, I'm like, here, man, have my dumplings. No, man, you want your dumplings? No, just, I, I don't want to I'm take ordering more dumplings. Yeah, that's right. You did. You ordered more, and I said, just eat mine. Um, and so I'm like, I, it's it's just, I, I just feel bad. And so we, and I'm like, I cannot wait for you to finish. That's I, I remember that specifically, because I'm like feeling so sick, and that's when you ordered more dumplings. I'm like, oh my gosh, how much longer are we going to be here? So we finally get up and leave. And you and I get into argument about whether we're going to take the train back or a cab back. Because you always like to either walk or train because everything is two blocks away in New York. And it's not. Um, or um, or you take the train. Because a, a New Yorker understands the train system up here. Okay, I can't, I can't get on a train and have any idea where I'm going. So I take a cab. So I'm like, so we're arguing over this. I'm like, dude, you do what you want. I'm not walking back to your apartment, which is 20 blocks away. 30 blocks away, 30, no, 26 blocks away, I guess it would, because we were down on First Street, right? No, we were at, before the um, quote-unquote incident, Yes. before Cabgate, we were like 45 blocks Cab away, we were, we were in Chinatown. <laughs> All right, so 45 blocks away. 
Um, and we're, we, you get in the cab with me. We're, we had gone maybe five minutes in that cab, and I, it's coming. And I'm like, oh, gosh. So I say to you, I think kind of quietly because I didn't want to involve the driver. Dude, I'm going to throw up. And your concern for me at that moment equated to, dude, you got to get out of the car. It's fine. Well, I, uh, no, it's not a fine. The cab was going to charge like three hundred dollars to clean this car. Well, I guess that's a fine then, right? Either way, you didn't want me puking. It did, you didn't care that I had to throw up. You didn't want me throwing up at the cab. Yeah, I thought maybe it would make you man up. A little so bit. you, well, it did. So you kicked me out of the cab. I'm just, I don't even. I'm, I probably walked across traffic. Mm-hmm. I, I, I remember looking, seeing a little corner where there was a Rite Aid, the the outside of a Rite Aid, and then some some um, building like where they put the scaffolding up. There's a little corner there where there's nothing going. I'm like, that's where I'm going. So I go over there, and I remember specifically feeling so bad. I literally just kind of with without even putting my hands up on the wall, I just stuck my my head against the wall of Rite Aid into this corner and just lose it all over the all over the sidewalks of Chinatown, I guess. And all that's fine. And I'm, I'm, I'm literally throwing up and I'm thinking, oh, this is going to be a great story in about three weeks. Actually, it's going to be a great story in about three hours. Because you were doing your radio show. That's right. And, and, and I think I even talked about it that night. Um, what made me mad, though, is that as I'm, as I'm throwing up, right, I'm, I'm in between heaves. And these people are walking behind me. And I, I hear two of them distinctly, of two different people, not even the same group, two different people effectively say, well, he had a great Santa Con, didn't he? And now I'm mad. Because I have nothing to do with SantaCon. This was an honest vomit. It it was, but I've got. I, I threw up downtown New York. I mean, that's a great. That's a good story. My my grandkids are going to want to hear that one day. And reverting back to a Seinfeld guy, you threw up on the corner of First and First. First and First. That's right. The nexus of the universe. <laughs> that's right. Because you kept. I, I kept saying that, and you kept. Well, technically, came. It was First and Third or something. <laughs> it was like, come on, Mike, give me this. Why, besides coming up here to do my podcast, two of them in 12 hours, why are you in New York City? Um, Sean Riddle, who is, has a, well, he didn't have, he's part of an organization up here, which by the way, has been around for a hundred years, found that out today, uh, called uh, Kentuckians of New York. So it's a people who live in New York, but have a Kentucky connection of some sort. They've lived there, they're from there, they went to UK or Louisville or more at one of the other colleges, Um so Sean is part of this organization, and tonight uh, they are having George Vesey as the speaker. And George Vesey uh, lived in, I think, lived in Louisville for a few years. Um, so he's speaking tonight, and Sean was kind enough to ask me because when Sean called, I thought he was asking me to be the speaker. <laughs> and I got that was very I, I was I was honored with that. And at some point, it awkwardly transitioned to. Actually, Cameron, we'd just like you to introduce the speaker, which, you know, you can't be too upset at that. It's at least part of the program, right? I mean, I'm not, I'm not handing out hors d'oeuvres at the door. So. And, and you and I have one job tonight. What's our job tonight? We're going to each we, do it our own yeah, way. Yes, we're, we're each going to do it our own way. You will pr- undoubtedly, because this is how you roll, you will be more successful than I will quicker. But because I get to introduce George Vesey, mm-hmm. I assume I'm going to be sitting at the head table with George Vesey. So, see, I have a, I'll, I'll, get, I'll get a head start on you. Um, but we're both going to try to have him on our effective shows. You on the Mike Sappho podcast, mm-hmm. and then me on Cameron Mills Radio down in Lexington. So, I mean, look, the guy has written, and you know this because you're a book reader. Yes, he's he's written like he's been a part of writing like eleven books. He has written six, and they're as eclectic as Stay Unusual. Yeah, Stay Unusual. Yeah, Stand the Man. Stay the Man. That's right. Saint Louis. To the World Cup. To the World Cup. Eight. To um, um, Olympics. Um, 
Loretta Lynn. Yeah, and you interviewed the Dalai Lama. I'm yes. really excited. Here's, about a, here's the funny thing. In his in his Wikipedia page, because I'm like I'm writing my introduction for him tonight uh, earlier today. In his Wikipedia page, whoever wrote this part of Wikipedia, I don't think they understand something specific, um, because they they mention at one point George was the uh, sports and religion writer for New York Times, and then they go on in, on Wikipedia to explain. As a result, he has interviewed such noteworthy um, people of faith or something like that as the Dalai Lama, um, uh, Billy Graham, mm-hmm. and Tony Blair, <laughs> comma, Minister of England. I'm like, I don't think you understand. When they say minister in England, it's different than how we use it here in America. So, um, But anyway, so yeah, he's, he's interviewed. But I, I keep going back to Loretta Lynn. I mean, coal miner's daughter. George Vesey wrote that. That became, I mean, that was an Academy Award winning movie. I mean, that's just incredible. So, so anyway. You mentioned Cameron Mills Radio. You, we're going to get Vesey on your show, my show. Yes. Going back to Cameron Mills Radio. Yes. I asked you this last night. Uh-huh. You had 20 hours to think of it and no puking. Who are your three uh-huh. dream guests? If oh, my three dream guests, yeah. In studio with you, hanging out, like, okay. just kicking it. All right, so... Uh, I, I stole one of yours last night, so I'm going to try not to do that, even though I, I would like to have um, – I, I love Anthony Bourdain. Mm-hmm. Um, I went with Alton Brown, who – just because you got me thinking in terms of cooks, and uh, I love Alton Brown's shows on, on, on Food Network and whatever else he's on. Um, George W. Bush. Oh, yes. Yeah, we, that, okay. Yep. And because, as, as Simba mentioned last night, I, I would ask him regrets about Iraq because I think it's the one thing look depending on what side of the aisle you're on you you can be highly critical of him or you can be highly proud of him or happy with with him and the one thing I think everyone would agree on is man maybe Iraq wasn't a good idea right maybe, Afghanistan yeah maybe Pakistan well that's where Osama bin Laden was um maybe Iraq wouldn't have good idea. so ask him because what he's done is he spent a lot of time his retirement down in Texas has been of all the causes he seems to be involved in he seems to be awfully involved in wounded warriors, and and you just kind of what I make up about it is he he knows he's effectively responsible for all a, a lot of these injuries. I mean, he's the one that I mean, he's commander in chief. He's the one that said we're going, and so he he's at least trying to somewhat right if he feels like it's wrong or not. And I think that's what I wanted to ask. So and then see, I said this last night. You ask these questions that require thought. It's not good pod. It's not good podcast because well, it is because you no. It, it. If I can think about it though, because but this is the kind of these are. I mean, I'm locked in here, right? But I, I can I, only have uh, Alton Brown, George W. Bush, and my third guest, right? Yeah, and you of course. Can, I can't have anyone else. Oh, Jennifer Aniston, but see, that would be selfish. See, no, no, not this selfish. I, I think you would choke into that. I think oh you'd be no! Nervous. See, this is where you don't. Oh, say. Wait, 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 I have to explain it. Let me. Cameron was sitting in my studio apartment, and Cameron sitting on his on the couch. His feet are on the coffee table. He said Jennifer Aniston. He took his feet off like he's about to go smooth. He spread out his right arm like, what up, J.A.? <laughs> see? That's not what I call her. Um, no, but see, that's the thing. I've had moments where I come up big in pressure-packed situations. I believe that would be one. Well, we'll get to Kentucky in a little bit. All right, fine. You do your show every Sunday night. Every is, Sunday night. Is it something you would want to do every day? I think so. There would have to be some other changes in my life because that – it's a lot of work, a lot of thinking, a lot of planning. Now, I, again, I don't want to give the impression that I start worrying about next week's show on Monday of every week. 
I honestly start thinking about it depending on what I've got going on that week. Sometimes like till Friday and think about, okay, what's going on this week? What What is going to be as far as the people who listen to my show? It's a lot. Of, they want a lot of Kentucky basketball, obviously, but we're in that dead period of time where we're talking really right now. It's who's leaving, who's staying, who we're recruiting, but no actual games and no actual, you know, there's nothing else to really talk about. And then football's not going on. So, I mean, we're, we're talking baseball at this point, which is fine because the Cats just beat the Cardinals. Uh, who was ranked number? Th- they were ranked number that. three in the that. country. The first time we beat them in like six years or something, or six series. So um, it, it's kind of it kind of gets hard this time of year in the summer to do the show because we've done it three years, and the summer months are the hardest months. It's when your advertising kind of dries up, mm-hmm. and when you, it's it's a lot more difficult to plan a show because during the season the shows plan themselves. You talk about the two games prior, who's coming up, and any storylines that have gone on during the week. If I did it every day. I think I could, but it would require a lot more time and, and energy than I'm putting in right now for what I'm doing. Jerry Seinfeld, Anthony Bourdain, Michael Rappaport. Those are my three. You didn't mention Seinfeld last night. I did, but I got excited because all we do is talk Seinfeld. Who did you mention? You uh, had a third one. Bourdain, Rappaport, and Opie from Opie. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah, so, uh, again, when you say Opie, I think of uh, Opie Taylor. And Opie's my old dog's name. Okay, we're going to go. I'm going to have to make you think again. And I, right. need, I need a good answer because you really dis- – is, is this the one? Yes. Cause you dis- Come on, man. Are you, you're disappointing me in this. Oh, well, look, I, I, I ex- no, 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 no. Let's do that very last question. Okay, I'll make that. All right, question. that'll give me time to, again, scroll through my phone and figure out a good answer for you. Okay, Mike Safosnick played basketball at the University of Kentucky. And I'm the 11th, okay. 11th man, 10th man. Eh, probably 13th no. or 14th, but go ahead. Maybe you didn't see me at CYO when I dropped 21 points in the state. No, I didn't. As a matter of fact, I didn't find out till last night. You actually had a baseball career of some such and <laughs> actually went to college and got a degree at St. John's. We Would I get more girls? I'm, I'm a decent-looking guy. As a Kentucky <laughs> 11th man player, do I get a lot of girls? Yes. Really? Oh, yeah. Have you saved any memorabilia from your playing days? Um, I just recently acquired uh, a couple tweeters from Big Bertha. Okay. The big, the big microphone, the microphone, the big speaker at at, at Rupp that they just took down. Um, I got a piece of her. <laughs> that sounds funny. Um, and let's see, I, I've got some. I've, I've got my rings. I've got, I've got every uniform I ever wore. I've I got, love, I've got all. I love my, when you lay them out. I like. Yeah, that. I've got because I do too. Because that's kind of cool. I mean, you don't. I was at Rupp Arena two weeks ago for a corporate event as a speaker. Because Sean Riddle, whether you realize or not, I, I'm capable of speaking too, not just introducing people. Um, but I was there as a speaker, and, and the company that does this for Rupp is they, they bring in an ex-player. It's like you know, like Chick Fil A. Chick Fil A rented out Rupp Arena for a night, and they invited a lot of their. Um, they did a kind of a contest or a promotion where if you got your picture taken next to this poster and tweeted at this particular these particular Chick Fil A stores you had a chance to win, you know, a night at Rupp. And so the floor is out, the lights are on, the scoreboard's on, and you get to go and they feed you. They bring an ex-player to answer questions and tell stories. But what everyone wants to do is they want to go shoot on the Rupp Arena floor. That, that's what it, – because it amazes me. I don't want to go shoot on the Rupp Arena floor. I get there and I'm like hanging out on the, on the, on the perimeter. I'm, I'm just, you know, sitting here talking, sitting here talking and – it's these grown men, 50, 40, 50 year old grown men out there, like, you know, having, having their moments that I had when I was a kid. You know, you count down, you're against Louisville, you're down one point, and you're going to, well, two points, let's say, and you're going to make the three point shot, right? You're pretending you're somebody. They're doing this, like, a ton of them. It could have gone on for four hours. Um, but um, it, I lost my train of thought. Why was I telling no, this story? I'm going to tell you about the shooting on the hoop. My first trip to Kentucky. Yeah. Um, Rodney Sherrod, who's now like, I, right. I guess he's considered a, a chief or something in the Lexington Police Department, yeah. organizes Deputy a, chief or something, a sure. private tour for me to go to Rupp Arena. That's right. 
I'm in there alone. It's a like Eddie Pelly took the video. I actually yeah. started crying. Yes. I kissed the floor. And yes. it, was, it was to this day one of the most special moments of my life. Uh huh. I was in the locker room. I was sitting there. And you I, know, I've not even been in that locker room. Wait, you want to know what the best part was? Is that they had a practice earlier, and Carl Towns, somebody and left something. No, the, all the, the locker was filled with all that stuff. And I give myself the look to the right uh-huh. and the left, and I almost came home in sneakers. And I left, <laughs> and because I'm so selfish, and I'm always like Mikey one upper. I have to not just meet this person. I have to get his phone number, and I have to not. I have to get. So, and that's always what I do. And I'm like, can we get a ball? And I, that is my only thing I haven't done yet. Is oh, shoot. you didn't get to shoot? No, no, no. I'm going to because yeah, I, I have to. That's, yeah, that's my next thing. Well, so anyway, but. I forget why I was telling about that referee story. It was yeah, that's what I'm going to. All right, go from. ahead. Let's go away from that then. It was a great. It was going to be a great point though. All right, go ahead. It's, I don't know if it was okay. Mm-hmm. Ninety six documentary you just did called yep. the team. Yeah, we talked about it last night, but now I want to ask you ask you questions about it. Was it fun filming it back, or was it? I actually watched it last night when I got back to the hotel. I was okay. like, you know what? I, I turned my computer on because for some reason I never watch TV anymore. I watch everything you know digitally on my computer, and. Um, I just kind of opened it up, and there was my desktop, and there it was. And honestly, half of my desktop, the icons, have something to do with the documentary because it's all digital. It's all on my computer, and I had to put a lot of this together, though not the editing of the actual movie. I got some uh, people know what they're doing to, to actually make the movie. But um, I watched it last night. It's fun watching it. it it's Because, look, I was executive producer, which sounds important. It sounds really And let's important. be honest. It's it, like the traveling secretary. It, that's right. Assistant to the traveling secretary. Um <laughs> All that means is is that it was my idea. I I effectively financed it, um, or am attempting to finance it. Um, and you gave me the access. I, I guess I guess I, yeah, and I gave him access, and I guess I had right of right of final no. You know, if they, if we were going in a direction that I hated, I, I guess I could have stopped it. And but I got Dick Gabriel and Jason Epperson to effectively do it because. Jason is a filmmaker. Dick is a uh, reporter or a, a you know a TV guy in Lexington. He's already done five of these kind of documentaries, and I knew those were my two guys. And I, so they did it. I think I would have had fun, and I think I'm going to have more fun with the '98 one that we're now working on because that one was so successful in, in many different ways. Um, but I was so stressed out. I was so worried. I was so afraid. Here's what I didn't want to do. I didn't want I didn't want to produce anything garbage. I didn't want it to be bad. And because it was always going to be mine, I was either going to be hypercritical of it or hyper supportive of it. You know, I, I wasn't going to be I, I didn't think I had the capability to honestly look at it and see it for what it was. I was afraid I was going to look at it and either hate it or think this is the greatest movie in the history of the world. When you sent it to me, it's like always weird when your friends are like, "Hey, read this." Or I'm like, "Crap, I didn't want it to be bad." And it, you were nervous for me. I was. Yeah, I get that. Watching. You talked about it nonstop and truly like oh I had to communication with you like us six stopped. months like, you went hard I went hard went, I went radio silent yeah yeah and I'm like it, you you emailed to me and I'm like I'm gonna watch you with Julia and I'm like <laughs> I was nervous I'm like I hope it's not like grainy like the Blair Witch or yeah anything. and it blew me out of the water but yeah. now it looks good it does two questions on we're not gonna talk about the whole team no, that's right. biggest trash talker on the team um probably Anthony Epps. Really? Yeah, I think so. Derek Anderson certainly now, um, but I think Anthony, Anthony, like even in the documentary, and I'd forgotten this. And see, that was the cool thing about doing it when we're together, two or three of us. In that situation, there were fourteen of us, and that was the first time all fourteen of us, even though we were missing one teammate, um, that was the largest group of us to ever do anything in twenty years. And so we knew the stories would come out, and that's and and I think we all flew down to Miami Beach hoping that it was a weekend of laughter and a weekend of you know your sides are hurting and a weekend of just the stories that were not funny then are funny now, and um, 
so we're hoping that happens and you know this is a perfect example of things that that oh yeah that did happen you know you kind of it reminds you but um anthony apparently right before we played umass john calipari coached umass team um in the uh, say i guess we've been in the semifinal, the first final four game in meadowlands first kentucky game i've ever attended there you go that's life. right yeah now, was, did you go to the Final Four games or did you go to the championship game? No, only the Final Four Only the Final Four games. Because my mom wouldn't let me sleep outside. Side note, because you were, we beat you, UMass. How old were you? 15. We beat UMass. That's smart. Listen, we beat UMass. We come outside. I went there alone. Mm-hmm. My mom's in the parking lot. That's right. Beep, beep. God, you love your and mom. And I went over. I go, Mom, listen to me. Tickets go on sale tomorrow morning. <laughs> and she, I'm like, I need to sleep outside because now what? my Kentucky team is about to play the title. <clears throat> That's right. And she looks, and it's all Syracuse fans because drinking and stuff. Yeah. She's like, get in the car. Crazy and New I Yorkers. Cry, now, Instead of me being happy, we just beat you. I'm crying on the way home. Like I want it because I want to see the game. Like a two year old. You're such a girl. Okay. Um, so F speak. Well, yeah. So game. okay. So we're UMass had beaten us first game of the year, second game of the year actually, um, early in the season. Our only one of our only two losses. Now that we're going in the national championship game, and it, well, I take that back because this was the final four game against UMass. So we're playing them for the second time that year. They are the only team other than Mississippi State, who's also in the Final Four, to beat us. So we lost two games that year. Both of them wound up being Final Four teams. Um, because they beat us the first game, they did something that has become a pet peeve of mine. And not only does it bother me when – if a Kentucky guy does this, I, I go ballistic. Not on them, just, you know, in general. I don't like it when anybody does this because it's just stupid. It's one of the dumbest things you can do in any kind of competitive thing. And that is – I know they do it in boxing and, and UFC, and but you don't – disrespect your opponent before you play them you disrespect them after you beat them that's when it's okay to do that okay and even then it's not really okay you don't give them any locker room material and UMass for whatever reason the two guards um Edgar Padilla and uh Trevisio was the other guy Dante Jones Mississippi State I think it might be what you're thinking of those two guards who rightfully so they they had earned the right to talk some trash to us but the mistake they made is they did it before we played them the second time in the Final Four. And what they said was, and this was what came out in the documentary, is we beat them once, we can beat them again. So Anthony took that rather personally. And as we were wrapping them up, right, we, you know, we, we didn't blow them out, but we got to a point maybe with 50 seconds left or 30 seconds left, if, and I don't even know how accurate that is, but it was apparent we were going to win. And Anthony had been telling them all game, don't ever talk to us. Don't don't ever you know it's like he and that's that Anthony's just got that kind of attitude where he just doesn't care mm-hmm. and so but even Anthony was smart enough to wait till we had beaten them effectively still clock time on the clock but we we've won at this point now he goes hard at him like you know you don't even belong on the court with us oh, go get in the locker room you know that kind of stuff which that's just Anthony you know and and Walter did it too Walter did it a lot too um, and I don't mind it during the game. I just don't understand. What is wrong with buttering your competition up? What is wrong with giving them a false sense of security? What is wrong with saying, you know, it, to the media? Because that's that's how all this stuff gets out there. Is, well, you know, guys, listen, I, I'll tell you what. Um, yeah, look, I know we're playing um, Moorhead State tonight. Um, let's pick somebody else. Let's say um, Lee's College, okay, which actually is a team in Kentucky. Um, Drop 38 in them, JV year. Um, but we know we're playing Lee's College tonight, but, you know, and I know they're not an SEC school, but guys, I'm telling you, we've looked at film. This team can beat us if we don't come ready to play. What, what's wrong with saying that no matter who you're playing? But I, I, I just understand guys that don't do it. But anyway. You played four years with some unbelievable players that went to the NBA. Who's nine the, nine or ten guys went to the NBA. Most talented player you have played with and played against. Okay. Um, most talented player I played with probably would be Antoine Walker. I think overall, 
I you know Ron and Da would be up there. Tony Duck would be up there. Um, but I think I think overall because Antoine could do everything, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so I think Antoine probably and and look, only one guy that I played with did sign a hundred twenty million dollar contract, and that was Antoine. So I think just based on that, it's fair to say he was the most talented. Um, played against. That if if you mean played against that I was actually in the game. No, no, no. Okay, no. that that I played their team. Or I was yeah. on the team when we played them. Uh, Tim Duncan, obviously. Okay, yeah. okay. Yeah. Now go, you're going to went from we talked about this last night, and I always I'm a de- overly a Kentucky defender. I never let anyone talk about my team. Oh, Tubby Smith, Tubby Smith. He won with Rick's guys. He which, did, which I always say is he the did. bigger compliment. Yes, like it is went, because you know what I know, and that's when people say that they're actually they're trying to insult him. Yes, yeah, like, no, that's a compliment. Yes, they and I'm, they don't understand that because okay, Tubby Smith had no connection to any player on that team until I guess it would have been maybe June or July of 1997, and within the next seven eight months, and granted, there was some bumps in the road as there always is when a new coach comes in. I mean, Co- Tubby's going through it right now at Memphis. I mean, everybody's going crazy about all these kids transferring from Tubby. It, it, it happens like that a lot, and it happened for Tubby the next year when Ryan Hogan, um, Myron Anthony, and uh, Michael Bradley, within the next two years after we won the championship in 98, all three of them had transferred somewhere else it, for various reasons. But most of the time it's just, look, I didn't agree to come play for this guy. I came to play for the last guy who's now coaching the Boston Celtics in their situation. So, um, but yeah, it, it, they don't understand that for Tubby to take us and effectively change 50% of what we were used to, right? Different offense, a lot of the same offenses, actually. Different defenses, no pressure. Um, practices were different. Scouting reports. Uh, Rick, Coach Patino's scouting reports on paper, 35 pages front back, okay? <laughs> a Tubby Smith scouting report from his staff, one page front back. Okay, that made us uncomfortable because we're sitting there thinking, look. Is he not prepared? Was that, that Well, yeah. it wasn't, no. It, I don't think we ever thought he wasn't prepared. I think our questioning was, is he preparing us? Because we're used to watching gobs of tape, watching, you know, getting these, you know, half-inch thick scouting reports with, you're talking like statistics broken down of how many times they're, their third string two guard. I'm giddy thinking about all the statistics. I'm a statistic yeah, guy. Yeah, I know. How, how many times, like they, they have watched the film on this team, somebody has, and they've actually they've actually charted how many times their third string two guard, what one on one movie likes to use. The percentage of, like, okay, well, listen, if he's in the corner, he's going to go inside out and baseline 74% of the time. Yeah, I mean, that's what it's, that's the kind of information we're talking about. Tubby just had personnel, stats. And their best plays on the back. And drawn up for us to know. And that made us uncomfortable. And there were other things like that. Just because it was different. Not because it was bad. Not because he, he wasn't prepared. And not because he wasn't working his tail off. But it was different than what we were used to. And what we were used to had taken us to two straight final championship games. So that, that just made it uncomfortable. But bottom line is what we had to do after our last loss, which wound up being Ole Miss Valentine's Day of 98. Um, I don't remember if it was an actual team team meeting. Or if it was just Alan Edwards and Jeff Shepard and I, the three captains, three seniors kind of got together and said, look, we're not – we kind of dissected the problem because we knew there was a problem because we weren't playing as well as we knew we were capable of. And so we just said, look, there's obviously some – you know, I th- we eventually decided there was a trust issue that just because Tubby did it differently we were and, and we knew Coach Patino's way was effective, we didn't know that Tubby's way was effective, we were struggling to completely sell out to his process. 
And what we decided, I think very wisely, is, okay, if we don't sell out to his process, now we're a team divided because we've got the coach asking us to do this, and we're hesitating to do it because we don't believe it's the right thing to do. If that's what we do, we're going to do nothing special. we got no chance of being successful at the end of this year. And as I always say, nothing matters until the end of the year anyway. You tell me that when I try to right. jump off. When we, lose the, when we lose Ohio State Christmas Day, yeah, no. what <laughs> difference does that make? Um, so we, we just kind of decided, all right, look, it's, it's not going to hurt us to believe in him. And it is going to hurt us to not. So let's sell out to what he's telling us. Let's sell out to everything he tells us to do. Let's hope he knows what he's doing. Turns out he did. Oh, he sure did. Yeah. Do you have a relationship with Tubby still? Yeah, oh yeah, yeah. As a matter of fact, I mean, it's not I, – I feel like, weirdly, because um, I feel like I'm closer to Coach P now just because of our union. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Tubby has agreed to give us a reunion this year. Thanks for answering my next question. Uh, yeah, yeah we're, we've, uh, he's been contacted. He's, uh, I, we're, right now we're working out where we're going to go and when we're going to go. And See, the problem now is we've got um, – We've got uh, Scott Paget, Division One coach. We've got Alan Edwards, Division One coach. We've got Steve Masiello, Division One coach. I'm trying to think who else is. We might have one or two guys in coaching, though not head coaches. We got to plan around, you know, because they don't have an off month, right? So we got to plan around recruiting, plan around all their schedules. So we got to figure out the best month to do that, and we're just gonna have to. It's not. It can't be during recruiting time because that's what they're going to go do. And Patino was awesome in the documentary. Like I said, I, I get stuff from other Kentucky fans. Yeah. Obviously, you know better. I, I still like Patino. I don't like things they did, but I'm a Patino guy. Mm-hmm. Like, I love, you know, I love Coach Cal. In Cal, I trust. Coach Cal can do no wrong to me. I'm going to marry one of his daughters whenever Julia leaves me. I'm sure, gonna, right, yeah. Oh, they're beautiful. But I think Cal's the greatest. I, listen, I love every Kentucky Why can't coach. we like them both? Why is well, that well, possible? That, that's what I was going to tell yeah. you. I love them both. I remember, like, I'm a, I love Opie and Anthony on the radio and how it's Stern was in the mornings. How do you listen to both? Well, why not? Why wouldn't like, you? Who cares? I, I like them do both. They, do they dislike each other? Yeah, they hate each other. Oh, okay. Well, cares? all right. Now, let me ask you a question with Cal and Patino. Okay. I mean, I'm sorry, but Patino, is there anything Coach P, I, I, I say like I know. Yeah, that's fine. Is there anything he can do to maybe um, resurrect himself back to Lexington? Oscar Combs asked me that on his podcast a couple months ago, except he asked it differently. He said, do you think Coach Patino needs to apologize for flipping them, you know, flipping the fans off? And I'm like, and, and all I'd say was this, apologies are never bad. Even bad apologies can be good, even though now we're getting to the point where, you know, the way celebrities and athletes apologize, well, if I offended you, I'm sorry, which, let's be honest, that's not an apology. Um, so if he sincerely apologizes, yeah, I mean, that's good. That, that, that can't end badly. You know what I mean? That, that's a good place to start. Is it necessary? I would tell you this. I would do it because I, I, believe, I, I believe in that. I believe in, you know, when, when you've made a mistake – and you've wronged someone, you know, at, at least at least own up to it and apologize and, 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 and ask for forgiveness. I, I think that's the way to go. This is weird, though, because he, he, he flipped off, honestly, not a bunch of fans. He wasn't aiming that at everybody. He was aiming it at one person who yelled something at him. I always want what I, I had this argument at, at Jack Dempsey's. I said what I always wanted to do is come out and say, did I overreact? Yes. It's because I love Kentucky fans so much and it hurt me yeah. to, that you guys hate me like, I, I want them to say you know that. what and I think there'd probably be a little bit of truth in that I think there would I th- but I think the reaction was he had just got beat he doesn't lose well I spent three years you know we didn't lose a lot of games because our coach doesn't lose well he he, he gets eat up over he gets like you when we lose mm-hmm. um, and uh, so I think that was you know, he's got that, and then he's walking out of Rupp, and he's got these crazy fans who are joyfully calling him names. And, you know, the same thing happened in North Carolina this year. Mm-hmm. I mean, you've got a guy who somehow has access to the floor 
which that's where the whole story pivots for me. If that guy's up in the crowd and he says, Patino, you suck, mm-hmm. Coach P's going to pretend he didn't hear him and walk on, you know, and chance are he doesn't hear him. But that guy was walked literally next to him somehow with floor access, which means he's there on official business or as a guest of the University of North Carolina. And for someone like that, see, I'll tell you this, as an ex-player and with a radio show, I, I get media credentials to rub for the games. Look, there is a decorum there for media, okay? Number one, you, you don't cheer, which was tough on me the first couple of years I did this because I'm used to watching the Cats play and reacting. You don't do that as a member of the media. You have to, it's a, you need to be impartial and you have to portray impartiality as well. The most unprofessional thing you can do is go sit in a, me, a media credential seat and cheer for the home team. You don't do that. Well, if that's the first thing you don't do, the last thing you don't do is is you don't wander around on the floor and instigate a a hostile conversation with the head coach of the opposing team. That's what you don't do. Give me your favorite Rick Pitino story. Oh, and a funny uh, Rick Pitino story. Well, they're all funny now. They weren't funny then. Um, well, I guess the most common one I tell, well, two of them. So both of them involve me doing something stupid. Um, we're playing North, no, we're playing South Carolina in Columbia, 9 p.m. ESPN game, 1997. Yeah, 1997. Um, I'm actually, this is, this is the last year and a half of my career where I'm actually playing. I'm actually getting minutes that matter. Ooh, that's a great name for a book. Um, and he puts me in the game. I think I had actually just had a fantastic little drive up and under, made a layup. At some point, a few minutes later, I'm guarding B.J. Mackey. Now, I wasn't ever going to truly guard B.J. Mackey, okay? I mean, and Coach O'Brien, who coached at the Celtics, coached at the Pacers, he had told me literally the day before in practice, he said, look, he pulled me aside at one point because I'd probably just gotten beat defensively. He pulled me aside and said, look, let me help you here. <laughs> your best bet is to not allow your man to have the ball because once he gets the ball, you're beat. And uh, there's some truth to that. So – I'm like, why? Well, okay, I've got a strategy now. I, I can't guard him one-on-one, but I can deny him the ball. So my best bet is I've got to work my tail off to keep my man from getting the ball. So now we're in South Carolina the next day. I switch off on B.J. Mackey. I immediately think, he can definitely take me one-on-one. So deny, 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 deny. And Eddie Fogler, who's the head coach of South Carolina, who I adore. I, Eddie Fogler, for whatever reason, was very always very kind to me. And um, so he said, um, we wind up, um, there's a switch. I switch on B.J. Mackey. As soon as Coach Fogler sees that I'm guarding B.J., well, he knows the scouting report on me, so he yells at B.J., 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 ISO, ISO. Well, I know what that means. B.J., go get the ball, take Cameron one-on-one. That's what that means. That, that's that translated. So as soon as I hear that, what Coach O'Brien told me immediately flashed in my brain, B.J. goes out towards the wing. I hustle my tail out to deny the ball. As if they had planned it because they had, because it was one of their plays. Back door. Now I'm beat this way. Now I'm panicking because I'm getting beat back door. And that was a play that we were so confident in guarding the day before in the morning of the walkthrough. We didn't even practice it. Okay. Because Coach P said, now we got that one. Well, Cameron's (laughs) proven we don't have that one. So now I'm panicking because he's got me beat. He's got the angle. He's got the ball. He's in front of me. So I think, all right, I'm just going to have to, I'm going to take him out. I mean, I can't, you know, I just take him out. Take him out. So I just hammer him. He still makes the basket. So now I've compounded my mistake. 
so within uh, literally two seconds, you, you know, and one, whistle blows, referee's calling it in the scores table, and I hear the horn go. Well, <laughs> there's only one person on that court that's getting replaced right now. 21, get off the that's court. That's right, yeah. So I don't even look. I know it's going to be – I forget who substituted for me in that in, in at that time in my career, but I know it's for me, so I just turn and start running towards the bench. I get over there, and I've never – look, he has yelled at me and cussed me out before. That's just part of it. I had never had a dressing down like this by him. I mean, it was – he was he used the word um, cantankerous on me. And that was – I was unfamiliar with that word. He called me the most cantankerous young <laughs> that that he'd ever seen or something like that. And I'm, I'm sitting there thinking for a split second, this might be a compliment. I don't know what this word means. So maybe I'm not in that much trouble, right? <laughs> so he – I mean, and here's the other part. South Carolina, their old gym, not their new gym because we played in their old gym – the first, you know, how in Rupp Arena, behind the benches, there's the, there's a, effectively a, a sidewalk. Mm-hmm. There's there's like you got like a meter and a half of of space before you get to the first row seating. In Columbia, it's our bench, and then literally fans are kicking us in the back of our chairs. I mean, it's just the first row of seating. So as I'm getting cussed out on the bench, as are these people behind me. And so they think it's hysterical. So they start just repeating what Coach Patino's saying in my ear. Yeah, you are a cantankerous young. You know, that kind of thing. Cantankerous Cameron, get off. All right, so that's in the first half. Now, I've survived the, the, the dressing down. If we win, I'm good. He'll forget about it. He, you know, he'll be in a good mood. We'll, we'll move on. If we lose, I'm dead. Because if we lose, he's going to be in a bad mood. And every mistake that was made in that game will flash to him in that locker room after the game, and he'll go through it all again. And he gets magnified. Yes. Well, we lose. Not only do we lose, Carolina storms the court. Yeah. That didn't make him happy either. So we're in the locker room, and here he goes. Bam, bam. But I mean, shooting people with his words, right? Just, just tearing into all of us. Gets to me, and I mean, spends a good – felt like 10 minutes. It was probably 45 seconds, but even that was too long. And I'm just – what do you do? He ends it by saying – when and this remember, this is a nine o'clock ESPN game. So at this point, it's literally midnight. Okay, game's over. We do media. It's midnight. We got to get on an airplane and fly back to Lexington. We're not getting home till three a.m. Okay, okay, realistically. So he and he knows it. So he tells me he says. So he's just, I mean, shouting as loud as he can, just cussing me up and down. <clears throat> when we get home tonight, you go into the locker room or go in the weight room and you get on that treadmill and you f and run until your legs fall off. Which, Mike, that's not possible, okay? I mean, you can't run until your legs fall off. So I don't have a, I don't have a good measure here of how much I'm supposed to run. And then he looks over at Delray Brooks, assistant coach, and says, and Delray, you effing make sure he does it. So now I've got accountability, and that sucked too. So we get, we get home. It's 3.15 in the evening, in the morning, sorry. Delray gets in his car and goes home. Well, now I'm, now I'm really screwed because if I go, I, I, I can go to bed. But here's the thing you don't want to do with Coach P. You don't want to ever lie to him because mm-hmm. that he, he has very little patience for like lying. Like I said, you lie to women and children, never Coach P. All right, fair enough. <laughs> children, yeah. Um, Delray goes home and it's like, okay, so here's what I'm going to need to do. I'm going to need to go run. I'm going to need to run to the point where I feel like I've punished myself. <laughs> and that way I can at least honestly tomorrow morning I can tell Coach P, yes, sir, I ran. You know, how far? Well, I, you know, whatever I ran. And, and I think I was, I was aiming for like 45 minutes. Um. I'm wrapping up my 45 minutes. And, and because I want to honestly tell him, yes, sir, I did what you told me to do. I, I punished myself. I, I got mad at myself, and I ran until my legs almost fell off. Um, 
I, I I ran hard. I like put the I put the miles per hour up around maybe six or eight, and I could probably adjust a little bit when I got really <laughs> tired. But I mean, I, I I beat myself for about forty five minutes. As I am literally, I I just finished forty five minutes. I am I am pressing the button to get the treadmill speed down because I'm going to walk for maybe you know four miles, five miles an hour for a little bit, and then I'm cool off, and then I'm done. As I'm on my cooling off moment, Frank Vogel at 4 a.m. now, and again, this is this is this is just this this is this is Coach P. At 4 a.m., Frank Vogel comes into the weight room on his phone with Coach P. Shut up! Shut up! Shut up. <laughs> he says, "Cam, Cam, this is Coach. He says not to worry about running. He'll deal with you in the morning." Shut the fuck up! Go on, go on. So now I'm like, well, he's in Florida recruiting. I'm not going to argue with him about this no matter what. So, okay. <laughs> so two hours later, Winston Bennett wakes me up at 6 a.m., puts me on the line, and I run a series of suicides. <laughs> Wait, looking back now, uh, hilarious story. Back oh, it's, I love telling a story. Yeah, it's fantastic. And I got another one where he put me on the treadmill during practice and forgot he put me there, and I, li- I had to run another 45 minutes. All right, listen, Coach P put you in good shape. I like Coach Oh, P. absolutely. And again, it wasn't. It, here's the thing. It was funny at the moment, especially when he's put me on the in practice, and he's now 45 minutes later, he can't find me. Like, where the F's Cameron? And all my teammates point to me. Because you, you can when you're on the treadmill at Memorial, you can see out on the court. You can see into the weight room. They all point to me. He turns around and now realizes he's left <laughs> in there 45 minutes. And starts to laugh. Okay, and now I'm now mad. Now mad. If 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 you know, he just kind of he kind of he kind of chuckled and said, "Come on out here." So I run out there. He puts me in. I'm exhausted. So what do I do? I immediately make a mistake. Back to the treadmill. No, really, really. All right, listen. It's five thirty p.m. I'm yeah, not, we're actually not done with the podcast, but we have no, no. to go to the Kentucky. Yes, we do. And you got to get dressed. I, well, I got a shower too. Oh my gosh, I'll be quick. Listen, that's what she said. Let we got to end. You got to end. Yeah, because we might not be able to do part two. Unless, okay, unless right, you come over. Enough. I hope you come over. After <clears throat> yeah. the dinner, who's the coolest person on your phone? Are we saving that to the second one? Let's do that. Let's do that. Because okay. I, I did find – who did I find earlier? Um, I, I did find somebody I thought, yeah, that's decent. All right, let me hear the decent one. Give me a Well, tease. Jay Billis is in here. You see that? And if you text him, I'm happy. you back. Um, okay. You know, I've, I've, not, I've not tried to communicate with him in a while, but he came on my show um, like a couple <clears> – in the first six months of my show, he probably came on twice. Okay. And I don't – look – I don't expect anyone to do it. I didn't even expect Jay Bills to know who I was when I met him 15 years after I played. I walked up and introduced myself to him. He said, oh, Cameron, I know who you are. Knew my stats. That's awesome. Yeah, it really was. It made me feel good. And it just – and it, I tell you what it also does. It puts, it puts that bar really high for actually preparing to do what you do and what I do, which you do, and I love that about you. Okay, we're going right, to yeah, we'll, the show. Hopefully, we'll, yeah. yeah, we're going to finish up later on. We'll, have well, if nothing else, I will tell you and you can tell everyone. That's, you know what? That's a good thing. You know, yeah, Cameron No, said, no, I got one for you. All right, what? I'm interviewing Steve Masiello Monday. All right, hopefully. And, hopefully. Hopefully. If he doesn't flake on There me. we go, yeah. And what we'll do is if you don't tell me, if we don't do part two later on, yeah. we call oh, you on speaker with Masiello. Yeah, that's All right, brother. That's the point. Thank you so much. All right, man. Love you.